You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, good morning, Real Life. Good to have you guys here. If you're joining us online, I'm glad you're with us as well. My name is Adam McKeldry, and it's a little weird to follow myself on the video, like after the video. Here I am, I'm going to talk some more. Sorry about that. But I serve here on the staff as the uh, associate pastor, and I love my job. If you guys have been with us for a while, if you journeyed with us through the Sabbath series this last, this last couple of months, you may remember me talking about how I'm a little bit of a rule monger. Like, I love the rules. And I know that part of me is just who I am, that I love the rules, but it definitely was something that was cultivated during my time in the military. Like, that is a place that is not safe to ask why. Like, you, you cannot ask why you're doing what you're doing. I remember being a young private and learning that doing this, not okay. You are not allowed to put your hands in your pockets at all. And when I asked, I'm like, why can't I do it? Just don't do it. Don't ask why, just don't do it. What am I supposed to do if my hands are cold? Can I have some gloves? Yeah, you can have gloves. Sweet. But you can't wear them. Okay. I didn't understand that stuff. And nobody really usually took the time to explain why, to try to help me understand why that was something that you couldn't do. Just a few months ago, I had something very similar happen to me. Back in November, I had my first opportunity to come up here and teach from this stage to our family here. And we were in the sermon club the following week, And they're giving me some feedback and some constructive criticism. And just about every one of them said, I noticed that you put your hands in your pocket a lot. (laughs) I did? Like, yeah. And one of them's like, I was totally distracted the whole time. I could not pay attention because I was wondering, every time your hand got close to your pocket, was it going to go in? Was it not going to go in? Was it going to go all the way in? Maybe just hang the thumb? I was totally distracted. But here was some people that took the time to explain and tell me why that is not a very good practice for a public speaker, because they cared about me, and they wanted me to be better. And because of that, I'm willing to make the changes. I'm willing to do the hard work to try not to do this. And I'm sorry for those of you who are now going to be watching my hands for the next 30 minutes, (laughs) wondering if they're going to go in my pockets. I say all this because as we are embarking on this new series, I've been wondering if there are some of you here that are wondering why. Why are we spending so much time and effort talking about the Old Testament stuff? Why should we care about these covenants that God made with the Jewish people? Man, let's just jump ahead. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's look at that new covenant that Jesus established, that covenant of grace. Why can't we just jump to that? And there's a couple of reasons I want to highlight for you guys before we really get going as to why I think it's important for us as we move forward. First thing is context. If you've been around real life for very, very long, you know that we believe context matters, especially as we're studying the scripture 
to know what the history is that's going on around that event, to know what the culture is experiencing and, and what the geography looks like, helps just open up a brand new level of what God is trying to communicate through the authors of the scripture. You guys know how important context is. How many of you this, just this week probably read a text or an email or saw a headline where when you first read it, you're like, man, that is offensive or that is inflammatory. I cannot believe that person sent that to me. But as you dug deeper into what was going on, what they were trying to communicate, it wasn't quite what it seemed to us on the surface. And as we are, as we are communicators, we have to be careful of that stuff too. We have to be thinking about what context we are communicating into. How many of you in here, probably over the age of 30-ish, knew that if you send a text to somebody and it's all capital letters, it means you're yelling at them? Some of you are just finding this out. Or if you respond to somebody saying something to you and you just say, K, just the letter K, not OK, that is not OK. Because you're telling them, I don't care what you just said, I'm moving on. Context matters. The whole story matters. Just like we can't grab the book, The Return of the King, from one of my favorite trilogies, The Lord of the Rings. You can't grab that book because it's the third book in the trilogy, open it up and start reading and know exactly what is happening in the story. You have no idea how somebody, how Aragon, if you don't, okay, read the book, it's good, how he arrived to where they are. Like you don't know the backstory. You don't know the journey of how they got there. And likewise, we can't grab this book and turn to the last third of it and know what is going on in the full story. Like, we have to know the whole story that God is putting together. Which is the second reason that I want to say that we, it's important for us to do this. is because this story that God is telling is your story too. And your story and my story starts in Genesis chapter 1, not in Matthew chapter 1. Right? We are all descendants of Adam and Eve. We are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But our story does not stop there in this book. It keeps going all the way through it. In fact, Paul addresses this in his book, in his letter to the Galatians, that I want to read to you guys real quick. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. Your story starts there. 
continues there. We may not be family through our own blood, but we are family through the blood of Christ. We are family through our faith in God. We are a part of the family. And I say all of this because as we journey through the next few weeks and we look at this story of restoration that God is putting together, I want us all to have this perspective that it's your story. And not just for this series, but every time you engage with God's word, like, this is yours. You have been a part of the plan from the very beginning. And I can tell you, I know that this is who God is and that this is his plan for certain, for lots of reasons, but one, because he's a way better father than I am. He's the kind of father that does not revel in the ambiguity of dad answers. If you're a dad out there or you've had a dad, you probably know what I'm talking about. Let me give you a picture of what it's been like in my car for my kids sometimes. Driving down the road, pull out of the house, start heading down the road. Dad, where are we going? Crazy. Dad, I'm hungry. Can we go eat? Sure. What are we going to eat? Food. Dad, where are we going to eat? At a restaurant. Let's go. They don't necessarily care too much about that journey that we're taking, but they're just like, where are we going? What are we doing? And I probably take way too much pleasure in telling my kids and nothing that they as actual information and holding it all till the very end. But that's not who our God is. That's not the kind of father he is. Our father brings us into the whole story and tells us the plan from the beginning to the end. God has been gracious enough to invite us into that. We get to see how it began. We get to see how it ends. And he gives us landmarks along the way. Think of the covenants that we're going to be talking about to help spur us on to the end. And what I want to talk about for the rest of the time here together is this journey, this story that God is telling here. In particular, I want to, I want to look at what God's original intent was with creation and what his final intent is. Because I believe if we do this, if we understand where we started and where we're going, it's going to help us understand God and these covenants that we're going to talk about for the next five weeks even more. We're going to see that he is a God that wraps his covenants in chesed, like Josh talked about last week, loving kindness. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 1, which is the best place to start a story is in the beginning. And in the beginning, God speaks into the chaos, shalom, peace, and order. He speaks into the formlessness, form. He creates the sky. He creates the sea, the sun, and the moon, and the stars. 
And then he creates animals to, to fish and uh, birds to go into the sky, into the, into the sea. And then on the sixth day, he starts populating the land with all sorts of creatures. And that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the sea, over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God's perfect plan set out. All of creation perfectly aligned with one another. Everybody has their place. Everybody is connect, everything is connected just like it's supposed to. And then God rests. And in his rest, he decides that he's going to take his crowning piece of creation, humanity, and give them the opportunity to manage creation. Take this thing and develop it and to protect it and to care for it. And it's in this that we see the first time God is defining what the relationship should look like or what he wants it to look like between him and humanity. This is the first covenant between God and humanity. Scholars refer to it as the Edenic covenant. And if you remember from last week when we talked a little bit about covenants and the different types the ones that we see, the one that we see in the text that God uses to engage with his people is called a suzerain vassal covenant, where the suzerain is the authoritative person, the, the party that comes with all the power, all the authority, and comes to the vassal party, the lesser, weaker party, and says, I want to have a relationship with you. Here's what it would look like. I'm going to offer you these things. And I would like this in return from you. Choose if you want to accept that. So we see the beginnings of this covenant in Genesis 1. If we jump over to Genesis chapter 2, we get to see more detail about what God is offering Adam and Eve and in creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, 
where the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. And then the text describes what those four rivers are and and names them. But if we jump down to verse 15, it continues. It says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's what God presents them. Here is the relationship I want to have with you. I give you everything. I've created you. I'm offering you the opportunity to make this world something amazing. Make this world a place where the powerful do not prey on the weak. Make this a place where there is no need. Everybody has exactly what they need. Make this a place that is based in my love, in my forgiveness, in my joy. I'm giving you this beautiful thing that has so much potential. And you have the freedom to build a civilization where you can be connected with one another, but more importantly, connected with me. This was God's perfect plan. This is what he wanted his relationship to look like with us. In a book called The Epic of Eden, the author Sandra Richter describes that this like this. She says, this was God's perfect plan. The people of God in the place of God dwelling in the presence of God. And that is the perfect option that God had offered them. For them to be his people in his place and in his presence. And by choosing to offer this or accept this offer that God was given to him, Adam was saying, I, I agree to, to take what you are giving me and I agree to care for it and protect it. And I agree to trust you. I will trust that you are not holding anything from me. I will trust that you will give me everything that I need. I will trust that you will protect me just as you have asked me to protect your creation. And that trust, Lord, looks like me not taking fruit from this tree. At first glance, I feel like God is almost setting them up for failure. Like if this is his plan, if this is his perfect plan for relationship, if this is what his original intent was, why put the, that tree there in the first place? Why did he have to put the tree there? Why not remove that temptation so that we have the opportunity to have that perfect relationship with God? And I think it comes down to the fact that God wants willing partners. He wants us to choose to be in relationship with him. Because that's what covenant is. When two partners come together and agree to have a relationship with one another, 
You're not being forced into it. God's not forcing you into a covenant with him. He wants you to choose to have relationship with him. As many of us know, the original choice to live in God's perfect plan hits a speed bump in Genesis 3 when the serpent comes on the scene. And Adam and Eve decide they're going to go against what God had given them. They were going to reject what God had created and presented to them and try to make something of their own. And there are consequences for breaking that covenant. As there are always consequences for the lesser party in a covenant when they break it. And God told them what those consequences were going to be back in Genesis 2.17. We just read it. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And God had every right to wipe them from the face of the earth right then and there. But he didn't. He didn't because his covenants are wrapped in chesed, in loving kindness. And in that moment, he showed mercy instead. In that moment, I think we see the very beginning of God's plan to start to restore his people. In that moment, when God shows them mercy, he did not look at Adam and even say, I see you as failures. I see you as the poor choices that you just made. Yeah, you messed up. You messed up big time. And there's going to be a fallout. There's going to be consequences for the decision you made. But that's not, that, that's over here. I want to still have a relationship with you. I want you to choose to still have a relationship with me. And for me personally, this is, this is a really big deal. This is a really big deal for, because for most of my life, I have fought against, fought against defining myself by my mistakes, by my sins, defining myself by my shortcomings as a, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, just as a man. And when I define myself as those things instead of a child of God, I, I get to the point where I feel like I'm not good enough. God, I'm not good enough for your mercy. God, I'm not good enough for your, your forgiveness. My sins, these sins, these are the ones that you cannot forgive. How many of the rest of you have ever had that feeling before? How many of you struggle with defining yourself as your mistakes. I'm here to tell you that is not the truth. Because God says, when he looks at you, he looks at you just like he did Adam and Eve. He doesn't see the mistakes that you made because God did not make a mistake when he made you. 
He made you on purpose for a purpose. He says, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. Trust that I have a plan to bring you to restoration, to a restored relationship with me. And I know God has this plan. I know that. That he wants to restore, restore me and have a restored relationship with me. But I feel like I'm the kid in the back seat. I'm like, okay, God, I see that we're going somewhere. And I know where we started, and I know there's an ending somewhere, but I don't, I don't know where we're going. I need to know where we're going, God, because I, I don't know if I can make it. And like I said, God does not hold out from us. God lets us in on the plan. If we turn over to Revelation at the end, Revelation 22, we get to see what that plan is. As I read this, listen to the description of what is happening here and see if it reminds you of something else that we've already talked about. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. What does that place sound like to you guys? Where else did we read about a place where God was present and living, a place that had a river flowing through the middle of it, a place with two distinct trees. It's Eden. But this time it's different. It's a city that is, if you read in 21, it's a city that's always open. And the two trees are not a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil, but two trees of life. And so the story ends where it began. God's final intention, his final goal, what's at the end of this plan to get us to restoration is where it all started. He wants us to be his people, living in his place, living amongst his presence. And as we journey through this series for the next five weeks, and we look at what this plan is that God has put in place, and we start to to tie the handholds that are the covenants to help us along our journey There's a few things that I hope that you guys are going to take from today. 
First off, I hope that you walk out of here knowing and believing that this story from beginning to end is yours. It's mine. It's ours. This is our story. So it is important for us to know how the story goes. The second thing is that to engage this story of restoration requires us to make a choice. Sure, God could have made the plan like a lasso where he's just standing up in heaven. Roping us, pulling us up, back up to relationship with him. But that is not who God is. He wants us to choose. He wants us to choose to walk up to the rope, to his plan, and say, God, I want to engage. I'm going to walk. I'm going to choose to engage your plan of restoration and grab onto the rope. And I choose to start climbing to that restoration that you offer me. It is a choice. Because God wants his people in his place, in his presence. Let's move to communion. Go ahead and take out your communion elements and start opening those things. If you're new with us today, we don't, we don't ask that you, we don't require you to be a member of real life. Uh, we just ask that you are a part of the family, that you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, to be transformed by him, to be on mission with him. If you've made that decision, we invite you to take communion with us because we are all family. And I just, for me, this thing every week is just a continual reminder of how this story is going in my life. How God is inviting me into the story all along the way. Because as we look in the text, you see Jesus all along the way. This is our story too. And he's inviting us into it. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks and broke it, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Then after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Father God, we... Lord, I I am humbled by your story. Not just because of the great story that it is that you are weaving from the beginning. Not because of the great ending that you have already forecasted. But because you invite me and you invite everyone here. Everyone watching. To be a part of that story. You want us to engage with you. From the very beginning, your intention was to have an intimate relationship with us. 
Thank you, Father, for that. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today that you will help us to engage your story of restoration where we are at, in our jobs, in our families, in our fun activities. Lord, help us to bring restoration to those who are around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.